but as soon as that storyline popped up, it, I thought it was a little less interesting than the like previous half of the movie. Mm. I can see that. Uh, yeah, you're talking about documentaries. You sound like someone who would be a fan of Magellan TV. I keep seeing that pop up around, and it's like a whole streaming service dedicated to like documentaries. Really? Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure since you've mentioned it, my phone has heard you and it will start sending me those ads. <laughs> Just like 12 emails immediately. This is the Welcome to another episode of Cinevibes, ladies and gentlemen. We are excited to have our guest on today, someone that's been crushing it in the commercial scene around Charlotte and other regions. We have Ethan Neville with us today. Welcome. Yes, thank you. What's up? So starting out, I think Ken and I would typically say we're trying to pioneer a route on the narrative trail if you will yes and i always find it fascinating how people end up in the commercial world and i think i know at least one of the answers is because there's money there yes (laughs) and i'm curious how did you end up on your trajectory that you're on right now so i i kind of I think everybody does start out with like narrative in mind and that's definitely where I got my roots at the age of 16. I think I was making short films like they were mostly comedy. We were me and my friends were really into like sketch comedy like Mad TV and Whitest Kids You Know Mm -hmm. and just a bunch of stuff like that. So we were doing a lot of that and then we did like a horror short which of course everybody starting out has to do and and then and then as my like kind of taste evolved when I was going through broadcasting school, I was actually really into like indie romance movies. And I was actually having this conversation with somebody earlier this week is that like, if I, when I was getting started out, I wanted to be in cinema so I could do like really like indie romance movies. Like, Oh yeah. You know, the movie like crazy. Mm-hmm. I just pretty much wanted to make that for 40 years. That's such a great movie. Hey. And so you know, I didn't really know how to get into that at all. And I mean, I knew like there was like places I could go to and like um, pl- places like Caravan that like does narrative type stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I could apply for something like that. But with the, you know, making short films with a, you know, DV tape cam isn't quite credentials to work at a place like that at that age. Sure. And so I just kind of did whatever I could with the camera for money. And that was mostly music videos and concerts and mm-hmm. so i did that for a few years and then i became known as the music video guy in the area and that kind of just kept going and so the the commercial stuff kind of like happened on on accident so it was originally i was trying to do like indie narrative like really like really low budget like shaky cam what they call mumble core i think that's what they call it mm. okay. and um it ended up being music videos because it was the only thing I could get paid for. And now I happen to be doing the commercial stuff because it lands in my lap and it's, it's fun and I enjoy doing it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. 
I still would like to do the narrative stuff, but now that I know how extensive pre-pro is on, you know, a $10,000 budget, I could only assume the pre-pro and like, you know, hectic nature of being on a, you know, 100,000 or 500,000 production, let alone anything in the millions. I think that's kind of out of my range at the moment, but yeah. 100,000 wouldn't be too unrealistic. And somebody gonna drop a five million dollar project in your lap. You're gonna be like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I would probably talk myself out of it. But uh, who knows? You just be like, yeah, I can do that, no problem. And then you go have a panic attack in your bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's how. Like, I know some people that got started that way, where they and it's a it's a friend of mine. He when he was starting out, some place in Oregon just gave them a call and they're like, we'll give you 80 grand to shoot this concert. And it was just him and his like roommate. And he was like, yeah, we can do it. No problem. And then as soon as they hung up the phone call, they were like sweating bullets. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty interesting phone call to get. I mean, what was the context there? They just saw their work or. I'm not sure. I'm sure. I know they had a website and it was probably marketing just video production in general. And like, you know, when you put your stuff on the internet, whether that's your just like your email and a picture or like if you have like a demo reel, um, you just, I'm I'm sure you guys know, like with having like websites up, sometimes you just get really weird inquiries. And um, sometimes they They never pan out. I just, I just get a bunch of people spamming me with like info number uh and it's, it's a bunch of like spam stuff on my website so i wish i had somebody dropping in my inbox with an 80 80 grand uh, i would probably think it's fake <laughs> and delete it right yeah, yeah. and i actually uh, had that happen too uh a flip-flop commercial i just did i swear to god i thought it was a scam and and I, I almost deleted it, and then I just kind of went as far as I felt comfortable with. Turned out it was real, and it was it was good money too. Wow! Mm. So wow. that's a lesson to all of us. Yeah, never think it's a scam until it becomes a scam. Until they ask you know, for your social security number. Yeah, that's right. Until they start talking about the prince. <laughs> we'll be back to the episode with Ethan, but first, here's what's in the news. Last night. The 93rd Annual Academy Awards was hosted, and there were some standout wins, and they're as follows. Best Actor, Anthony Hopkins for The Father. Best Actress, no surprise here, Frances McDormand, Nomadland. Best Supporting Actor, highly debated in our Oscars 2021 episode, Daniel Kaluuya takes that one with Judas and the Black Messiah. Best Director, we have Chloe Zhao with Nomadland, the second of three total wins for Nomadland. And the third win, and arguably the most anticipated for Nomadland, was winning Best Picture. Congratulations to all the winners, and shout out to Sound of Metal for its two wins in film editing and sound. That's what's in the news this week, and back to the episode. I wanted to jump back for a second to the music video stuff. I was perusing your website, which is quite a nice layout you have. And I see that number one music videos in Charlotte. How does one become number one at doing that in Charlotte? That's the first time that's ever been brought up uh, publicly. (laughs) And I appreciate that. So 
in, in that box, it's just it says Google, and mm-hmm. so that's just my SEO ranking because I do not pay Google, I do not pay any marketing anything. So a few years ago, I just got you know taught myself SEO and um, learned how to get like up on Google based on like what you're looking for. So mm-hmm. I've done this across multiple machines, and I guess it depends on what city you're you're in, but. You know, I've tested it up to like 10 different, you know, computers and machines on, you know, multiple different IP addresses. So I'm pretty sure I'm not lying. But if you <laughs> look up Charlotte music videos, Charlotte NC music videos, I'm the first company URL to pop up. So I'm like, okay, Google considers me like the number one search for music videos in Charlotte. That's fantastic, dude. That is that is a nice title to have. And I've seen a few of your music videos, and I would definitely have to agree. They are in the <laughs> highest tier of music videos I've seen out of this area. So I appreciate it. it. Yeah, I it's it's um it like you know everybody's your own worst critic, and it's like sometimes I do some stuff where I'm like that looks good. I did a good job, but I feel like most of the time I do stuff, and it's like this is okay. This is whatever. But no one can tell the difference between A and B. So yeah. I guess I'm doing okay. I was listening to one of your podcasts. I think you're talking with Ponder. Yeah. And you were talking about with music videos how you love it so much because you can come in there with like six different lighting setups and these crazy kind of setups, I guess, that you just can't do, even in narrative work, much less mm-hmm. commercial work, as you mentioned. What's the, like, what are people after with music videos? Why do they end up being so bizarre, but like in a good way? Yeah, I know what you mean. And honestly, I rarely, rarely have a client come up to me and have like a very, very specific look, like the look you're talking about, other than just, you know, a basic like high key look or just a moody look or whatever, Mm -hmm. but something in between. Um, And I generally kind of do this to myself and it's part of something I don't like about my current situation is all my stuff kind of looks the same because I kind of keep putting that look on everything where I would say it's kind of, it's almost Marvel's Avengery, like when they're on another planet because there's lots of different colors and lots of different like shadows and like it's all like shaped different. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the times when we're filming music videos, I kind of throw these lines where like you you can have like a lot of dream sequences or a lot of like sequences where it's like you're portraying something like really philosophically through visuals or at least that's mm-hmm. what I tell people and we can be like oh this is actually you out of time reflecting on this and we can show that visually with like you know how everything kind of looks like you're in a space of like infiniteness or something stuff like that yeah and that's how it's easy to kind of get these like far out looks that like you technically wouldn't be able to do unless your narrative was like somewhat sci-fi or like cerebral like under the skin or something like that yeah yeah i love that abstract nature like i i don't think about it too much but whenever i do watch i think it's almost like you know when i sit down to watch a music video and i see something wild going on in the music video i'm kind of like i accept it I see what's going on here. I see what's going on here underneath the surface. I I see what you're getting at. But if I was to watch a narrative or something like that where I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down 
and have like an experience or something like that with this narrative. I, and they start pulling some of that stuff on me. I'm like, hmm, I don't know about that one, Chief. Uh, so I think I, I like how wild music videos can get. And I think that's got to be really fun creatively. Like when you're directing a music video, like where it's going to go, that's got to be like, that's got to be really imaginatively like fun, right? Yeah. Well, and a big part of it too is um, music videos are highly competitive because when your clients coming to you, they're often like a lot of guys that sound like me or make music like me. They're making cool videos like this. We gotta we gotta outbeat them. Mm-hmm. And then at the same level, me as a CGI artist or or a filmmaker, I'm seeing the videos that they're showing me, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I can do better. Let's both do better. So we're both like trying to beat someone else out of like doing mm-hmm. something even more far-fetched or or interesting so it kind of really becomes competitive and that's i think why it's gotten so crazy with the music Mm -hmm. videos and the edits Mm -hmm. and the special effects and stuff yeah i feel like a path for a lot of directors is through music videos especially as of late the person i was trying to think of their name escapes me but they're really popular well not spike jones not spike jones there is another one but Anywho, yeah, I feel like that seems like a more viable path than any other way to get to that point because, I mean, you're making content. It's fairly short, so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe put all your budget into equipment, crew, things like that. And, like, a day or two shoot, I mean, like, these are never very long, at least the ones I've uh, been a part of, so... It seems like that's kind of maybe the way to go. I mean, short films can be pretty elaborate. Yeah, it's it's a lot easier to pull off than a short film for most things. I think Fincher, I think he he didn't start out doing music videos, but he did them early in his career. And I think it was mm-hmm. I think it was influential on like kind of his style. Yeah. Visually. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you want to. Well, you say that you like commercial work. I just get sad thinking about shooting anything that is I don't know like I always use a reference of uh, like a food line commercial but Mm -hmm. like what about it for you is exciting because I I haven't been able to find that for myself I I, so I had a conversation with a friend recently and we kind of like hashed this out because me and him are one of the few people that we both know that we'd much rather shoot a commercial than a movie. Mm-hmm. And he's he's like one of the most talented individuals with a camera that I know. So it's it's good to have that conversation. But like I'm really into the mundane, which kind of contradicts what we just talked about. <laughs> but I I guess and it comes from me wanting to start out with the like indie romance films is like if you look at these like you know, terrible, terrible indie romance films on Netflix and stuff like that, like Short Term 12 and Like Crazy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's so mundane. Like Lady Bird, what, what's happening is like so run of the mill and you just basically have to find something or make that mundane interesting. Otherwise, no one would watch it or if they mm-hmm. did, they wouldn't like it. So yeah, I guess something that I get out of it is like every commercial shoot, it's pretty much like, all right, we need either... One, a living room or an office or a kitchen it's, mm-hmm. or a park. That's literally like almost yep. most 80% of the commercials we're doing. So we have yep. 
just people in a place that is so normal, how do we make it pretty? How do we make it cool? How do we make it different? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the challenge that makes it interesting. I guess I did really bad in school because I wasn't being challenged. So Mm -hmm. I feel Mm -hmm. like if I'm on, on a job where it's like, we're just kind of doing some mundane stuff, I would be equally as bored. So I think I'm interested in it because it's like, how can we not make this boring? Yeah. I like, I like that idea because when, what comes to my mind when you talk about that sort of stuff is film festivals that have a certain theme or a certain, they'll give you a line or a certain genre and stuff like that. They give you some guidelines as what to go by and, you know, having similar structures and everything, you know, everyone's at, I think this is why I enjoy like competitive things is you have a baseline of these sets of rules it's just who can do it better you know how with these given circumstances uh how can you make it better right i i like that idea it definitely uh calls to some competitions i've been in before where it was uh just certain thing we had like a line or a prop or something like that that you had to use in there right uh, and everyone else had to use that but you had to find a really interesting and unique way to do it yeah and i think they have something like that around here the hundred words film festival and every year they like give the thing that you have to do in the movie or whatever and yeah i mean it's and when you watch the like the finales of those contests that you're talking about it is mm-hmm. always interesting to see the winner and then to see like the people who like didn't quite make it mm-hmm. and just to like compare it's like was it was it gimmick was it a gimmick or was it just like they just knew how to handle this better than we did mm-hmm. right yeah so like your music videos you you said that came to you uh sometime in broadcasting school was it you went to broadcasting school right what was what was that it, so it's like a trade program. It wasn't a college or anything like that. It was pretty much like a nine-month trade program. Mm-hmm. And everything they were teaching in there was stuff that I had taught myself in high school. So the mm-hmm. only thing that it did for me was put me in a room with a bunch of people who were trying to do the same thing. And what was odd about it was that there was a very large age gap. So I tended to be the youngest person in the room and... It was a lot of like 40 year olds that like wanted to stop being a trucker, or stop being a construction worker and go into sports or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, one of the guys that was in, in that class, he started up a company and was able to film concerts and um, some corporate work. And uh-huh. he was really green, but he let me interned with him and yeah. we got music video jobs and then his company went under. And so he was getting like, these leads in for from his old business and he was sending mm-hmm. them off to me and that was pretty much how I was able to get a start on like you know jobs and a lot of mm-hmm. them happened to be music videos mm. Mm. that's how how is like that trade school that you went through like did that help you at all did that like help make your desire to get into this industry more or was it how i feel like a lot of people feel when they go to school to do what they love you know what i mean it's kind of like this structured very by the book way of doing stuff that just takes the fun out of it (laughs) did you have that at all 
Well, so it so it's it was a, it was a fine experience. It was just, it was like something that I did. I didn't t- really get to take anything away from it other than that internship. And it was mm-hmm. the school was for basically news, like uh, like uh, like local news and mm-hmm. radio. And yeah. the entire time while while I was there, I didn't even know what a DSLR was. Mind you, I think this was 2011. Uh huh. And I think DSLRs were just coming out, and yeah. I didn't know what they were until the until like we almost graduated. I'm like, how come no one's told me what this is? Like, this yeah. is ridiculous. We just went through a nine month program, <laughs> and we have no clue what a DSLR is because <laughs> we were shooting on the you know Panasonics that go over your shoulder and mm. yeah. It, yeah, so I just, you know, I was like, am I going to become a news shooter? I don't want to do that, but I'd yeah. rather make money with a camera than keep washing dishes or stocking shelves. Uh-huh. So yeah. I do not yeah. recommend that school. It'd be different if, like, it, I went to a film school and I was just being really pretentious. Like, oh, I went to film school. I hated it. It did nothing for me. I, mm-hmm. I felt like that would be like a silver spoon kind of moment. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I went to the wrong school, essentially. Okay, I got you. And after school, it seemed like, at least around Charlotte, a lot of folks have gotten into sports. Mm-hmm. Was that part of the work you did for any period of time? Like, I know Raycom's big. Yeah. Um, folks like that. I did not do any sports work, and I have not done any sports work. I think the only sports work I've technically done is I've done, like, I've done, like, VFX for, um, like, the Belk Bowl and the Duke Mayo Bowl. And okay. I think that's about it. I think I did some v, uh, like um, animations for them. That's like about that it. TV graphics mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's pretty Got sweet. You. So everyone's probably seen your work. That's kind of cool. Well, everyone Maybe. that watches that. like ACC teams playing the Belk Bowl, of course. Yeah, it's like I think I have like five things that have gone on broadcast, but I never got to see them on TV. So it's like. I can say they went on broadcast, but I never saw it, so yeah. I don't really know. We're going to say they did and that everyone loved them. Yeah. Yes. Huge hits. Fantastic. Animation. Like, how, how did that come about, animating, uh, like you were talking about, for broadcast and stuff? So, technically, like, when the so when I started my company, it was right after I'd lost my last day job. I didn't lose it. We got laid off. Mm-hmm. The company went under. And it was a nicotine company in Matthews, and it was right around the time that the federal government was cracking down on nicotine marketing, one, which was my job, and then right. a whole other other thing. So the company went under, and I was like, I'm not going to get another day job. I'm just going to – I'd been doing music videos like on, at week, on weekends at that point, so I was like, I'm not going to get another yeah. job. I'm just going to go full speed ahead. I've been listening to a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's getting me hyped up on <laughs> hustling. <Yeah>. So <laughs> I, I started a thumbtack which is essentially, it's a, it's like Angie's List, but on your phone. Mm-hmm. And so, and you might be able to do this on Angie's List, I don't know. But I was just a videographer on this app called Thumbtack, and this factory contacted me, and I got them on a video contract. Like, right, like, as soon as, it was like, as soon as we, the company went under, and I started my company, it was mm-hmm. a month later, I had that contract, and it was on retainer for a year, so I was like, cool like i'm good to go and we originally were filming basically like ikea furniture because they would they basically manufactured ikea style furniture we would film how you put it together and so Mm -hmm. after about six to nine months of that 
they were like, we want to start doing this 3D. Can you do that? And I was like, sure. And it was one of those moments where I absolutely could not do that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did like a week-long course on it and brought them back uh, uh, an example, like a mock-up. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. cool, let's, let's do this. So we moved everything from video to animation. And that was about three years, three or four years ago. So I was able to do that. And that taught me, you know, not only After Effects, but it taught me Cinema 4D and then out of curiosity, mm-hmm. you start to realize, man, I can do a lot of stuff with this program. So I would just do a bunch of fun stuff for me and post it on Instagram. And then people mm-hmm. would see it and they'd be like, yo, can you do this for me? And then you've got to figure out how you set up a structure of business for animation because it's a totally yeah. different world. But that's pretty much how that started. And that might have been a long-winded answer. Do you use any programs in the Autodesk suite? I feel like maybe Maya is one of them. I don't use Maya. I like Cinema 4D, but I have used some Autodesk programs for like when I get like proprietary models. Like if a company sent me like a model that only opens up in this software, I've had to go get Autodesk stuff to like learn how to convert it to bring it into Cinema 4D. Mm -hmm. I guess with these three different kind of avenues that you have, how do you balance that? Like they're, they're pretty different. So how do you as... I mean, I'm assuming you don't have, you know, a whole squad of people behind you. How do you, you know, you get an animation gig, then you get a corporate gig. Do you have to, like, which one do you choose? It seems like a difficult thing to kind of manage. You know, I've never looked at it that way. I guess you could almost say the music video and commercial stuff would be like a separate enterprise from the animation stuff mm-hmm. because like those those two fields never really touch each other. But yeah, like I, I've never really had problems with it because with the animation stuff, it's pretty much 100% remote and it's always been remote. So when, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff in 2020 happened, I didn't have to really adjust at all on that you front. You still do that. Yeah, and um, the music videos come in through the website or through Instagram and the animations come in through just the website or from corporate referrals. And then the commercials usually come in through corporate referrals only. So it's almost like they have their own like avenues of how they get to me. So mm-hmm. that's just like how it's worked out. It's fascinating. Yeah. I, myself, I like operate under set apart productions. Mm-hmm. And at one point we were, me and my co-founder were really trying to ramp that up and we were going to have kind of like the commercial route and then the narrative route, you know, commercial to pay for the narrative, essentially. And I just couldn't find, and I guess this kind of goes back to earlier when we were talking, but I couldn't find the motivation to really put all my marbles in the commercial basket to, you know, put aside the time necessary to jump over from like the day job life to that full time. Right. It sounded like you kind of, maybe not by your own choosing, but had a little bit of a nudge out of that by getting laid off from that one job you had. But yeah, had that not happened, what do you think? would have been the motivation do you think you would have just eventually just i'm quitting i'm out or do you think that would have been more difficult yeah i don't think i don't think i would have quit because i was able to 
shoot music videos on the weekends and you know i didn't really have a long schedule like i think i only worked like 30 hours a week at the the shop and Mm -hmm. i was able to balance it pretty well and honestly obviously like i made normal you know normal money at that day job and then when i went full-time freelance or you know started the company i pretty much took like a 50 percent pay cut for like the next two to three years Mm -hmm. so me knowing that and then not have having that company like go under or whatever i i I probably would have stayed it's a lot easier to be complacent but Mm -hmm. when that happened i think it changed something in me personally because i started to notice that i would repeat that process where the safety net of a job like left from underneath me and then i was like Mm -hmm. now i've got to work harder just to survive like i I have to like I whatever I'm aiming to do, whatever my goal is, I have to do it because yeah. I have zero safety net. And I kept doing that to myself. Like, so the job left, and I immediately hustled as hard as I could to like you know make a living freelancing. And then I was like, you know what, I need to do something else. So I like moved out and put more financial stress and you know just general societal stress and removed another safety net just to like push me further and further. And I've just pretty much been removing safety nets for the past like five years. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily healthy, but it sure helps with, you know, getting motivation when you're not extremely yeah. motivated. I think that's a good point because I feel like I'm always running away from safety nets in a sense. Like I'm never trying to be complacent. You know, my, uh, even right now, uh, I'm always on top of my finances and everything. It's always a concern for me. But where I'm at right now is really good. And I know f- further down the road, finances, if I were to, you know, go and invest as normal people usually do for 15 to 20 years until retirement or something like that, it would be really nice. But my mindset is not so much so in that long term effect. Uh, in that long-term aspect and it that safety net of I could just sit here and do this for the next 25 years I could and I would be really well off I would be very fine you know and I I it would everything would be fine but I'm always running away from that sort of stuff I'm always living just a little bit uh, outside of my comfort zone and that usually keeps me hustling every single day i'm always doing something you know because i never want to be that type of person that's just sitting around you know what i mean yeah and it sounds like you have the same exact mindset as well as you constantly want to be doing something right yeah i i think both me and my wife i think we work about six days a week and i've been doing that for about four years now and i it's like i love like if if i took if i took an extra day off i think i would like hate myself for it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i feel you that's that's how i look at stuff too if i ever have a day where i'm not doing much i'm like i could have been doing this other stuff and i feel like i'm just not getting done yeah something's not getting done (laughs) yeah yeah i i definitely feel that uh from what you're talking about definitely the comfort zone thing i know comfort zone is very important and i think that's something where as uh an artist i i'm not trying to uh be too extravagant in what i do because i know there will be times where where i have to float and 
as long as I have somewhere to go at night, nice roof over my head, place to sleep, I'm I'm happy. That's my comfort zone. Everything else, my schedule, everything else always has some form of stress, but it's not the stress that's, you know, causing me mental like uh a- anguish, yeah. but rather it's the the type of stress that is like, okay, it's a little bit pushing me and I need to I'm making these different commitments and such that cause me to have to act right yeah Mm -hmm. commitments really important and you know just living that lifestyle i think i think like finances are important too like you know being good with your personal finances is something that like a lot of people don't talk about but it's like when you're in that world of you know freelancing or anything like that it's like i think it needs to be more of an open discussion or at least like be Mm -hmm interested in but i feel like since this past year i think it's a lot of people have changed their minds and like gotten their stuff together on that front mm-hmm. yeah yeah and speaking of this past year i i i want to touch on how the whole pandemic has affected you and uh freelancing like how has that affected you i it's i i and i i i've said that I feel guilty because I've done better since, you know, like 2020, I did better than the previous three years of the company, like right. by like double. And uh-huh. I think it was because I was preparing myself the year before and every, and all the, all that preparation just kind of like you did it at the right time and it all just kind of like flowed. Yeah. But between the animation stuff, because, you know, a lot of shoots got shut down, so a lot of shoots got turned into animation and I just happened to get those things. But then also, mm-hmm. you know, I was switching up pricing structure in 2019. So I finally felt comfortable with that when I was pitching jobs and stuff like that. And I wasn't, you know, so timid around yeah. asking for the right around amount of money. And um, so it just, the, and I had also made a bunch of relationships the previous year that you know had really big client rosters so whenever they came around it's like you knew that they were going to need like 45 days for you Mm -hmm. and that it was going to come out on the end and like pay for you know half you know two months at a time Mm -hmm. yeah so i did i did fine uh it didn't really affect me too much the I, i will say the one time is like right around when it just started like right when the lockdown started we were uh-huh. doing a job uptown. It was we were trying to save this gym that did like spin class or whatever, and yeah. we were kind of like filming underground. And I don't know if it was just because it was like so new, and we were being like super careful. We were like wearing masks and gloves, and we did borderline hazmat suits for all this stuff, mm-hmm. and um, no crew, like skeleton everything, and just doing it especially it being uptown like right when it all happened the whole thing mm-hmm. kind of felt like we were doing something wrong like we felt like yeah we can't get caught like working because we mm-hmm. we needed to work like we needed yeah. to work and um you know some people might feel a certain way about that but it's like you know uh, there's been trials and tribulations for a thousand years and you know a society around the world and it's like when it comes down to it you got to be safe and stuff like that, but some there's some mm-hmm. things you got to do. But it was just it was just it was just creepy. It was just really creepy. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, by pulling away the safety nets, 
but also diversifying what you can do. You kind of built in another safety net for when, Mm -hmm. you know, the unplanned year-long pandemic says you're not going to be doing anything for a while. And then you're able to jump over and do the animation work, a lot of remote work, maybe even with videos. I don't know. You might have had some backlog stuff that you could finally work on that you had the free time because mm-hmm. you weren't you know, bouncing around between shoots. But that leads me to a question. And we, you know, we've been talking about finances. Assuming, you know, people know their worth, which is a big thing that it seems like takes a long time to figure out whether it's building confidence to say, Hey, I want X amount of money or I'm, you know, just not going to do it. Like just point blank like that. And also the desire to work on cool projects, even when the money may not be there. Mm -hmm. What kind of things do you look for? Let's say the project's a really cool one. And financially, you're okay. Like, do you still, would you do that project with, hey, like, give me somewhere to stay, I'm there. Like, what kind of things are you trying to work on that maybe are more important than the money side of it? Like, I would would probably have said, like, you know, if you'd asked me, like, 18 months ago, I probably would have said something that, like, fills a, a gap in my portfolio. I think it's really important. And I had an interview with like a college student wanted to interview me about the animation stuff. And um, having like a really fleshed out portfolio for like whatever the brand would be like, so for set apart, like the brand that you want to be is like narrative. And, you know, maybe there's a specific type of narrative you want to do. And I kind of see it that way when it comes to like music videos and commercial, it's like, I would prefer not to do just any type of music video or commercial. There's a certain type that I really like to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times is if someone comes on your website or goes on your Instagram and they see this cool stuff that you do, but they don't see anything that looks like the one that they want, they might never even reach out to you. Or if they do, they really will kick tires about like whether or not they'll book you because they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, but I haven't seen you do this exact thing. And I know it's because they don't have the vision to see like, well, if I could do this, then that means I could easily do this. But Mm -hmm. filling holes in your portfolio to like have that represented where it's like, I want to do more beauty stuff. I need a beauty commercial. I'll easily Mm -hmm. take pay cuts or, you know, kind of go above and beyond like the role that I was obligated to do to make sure that I can fill that hole in my portfolio. Mm -hmm. I would have said that. And I probably still would, but I think it would just be phrased differently as of like a, a lot of times I have like concepts for like music videos where it's like, oh man, I would really like to do this thing where I've been wanting to do the, um, this, you know, from Blade Runner where I guess it's where Jared Leto's hanging out and that's the mm-hmm. projection of the water on the ceiling. Yeah. I've wanted to do a project with that so bad. And so if like somebody comes up to me and they're like, hey, I want to do a music video do whatever you want like and i they they said this concept was cool that like that would that would probably take priority over yeah just about anything else i was doing because i could work on a concept that i've been dying to work on Mm. yeah that's ironic that you mentioned that because we just reviewed blade runner 
Oh, yeah. 2049. Yeah. 2049. <laughs> yeah. That and scene. we spent a solid 10 minutes talking about, about that exact scene you were you were just talking about. It's <laughs> beautiful. I feel like that's kind of, you know, obviously Roger Deakins got paid, but I feel like people kind of told him that Villeneuve, the producers, maybe they're like, this is all an experiment. Like, make it buttery, smooth, gorgeous, everything you want. Just do your thing. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't think they had a lot of restrictions. And that kind of seems like the ideal situation. Like, you get to get paid nothing as long as you're, like, getting fed and you get to make Blade Runner. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm there. Yeah. I think they pulled a lot of reference from the first one because I had never seen the first one until recently. And I could tell, like, there was a scene or a room that they were trying to kind of, like, it to be, like, somewhat symbiotic of or whatever but um mm-hmm. a lot of people might hate me because i've seen blade runner five times and i fell asleep for the first four but <laughs> i love it i love it as a film but it just happened to be on or i popped it in like at the wrong time because i would just knock out and so mm-hmm. but i did eventually buy it and watch it end to end and not fall asleep and i love it it's phenomenal yeah mm-hmm. you redeemed yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. The one thing you talked about is when potential clients go to your website and they see what you've done and they're not seeing necessarily what they want. Now, that kind of spoke to me because as an actor, I never want to have a single type, like a single type to myself, you know, always trying to find something else that I can do as far as a type goes. And that that just kind of resonated with me because they only see a photo. They don't necessarily see what I can do. They may see my reel and all the other projects I've done in the past, but they can't see what I am capable of 100%. I think that's something that's very... It, it's As an actor, if I have headshots for a certain look, but I don't have one for another one, but I know I can definitely play this other... Like, if it's a... A hipster and I don't have a hipster photo and I have no way to show them that I can play a hipster they're gonna be like well why would we hire you if you've never done it before right yeah so I I think that's a really interesting quirk of our industry is that you know they definitely uh, want to see that you've done something similar in the past yeah right it's it's weird and I guess you could like link it into treatments and some people just don't know what to like look for and i could see it could be different for you like i i have an actor friend that i've generally used him in a clean cut manner and then mm-hmm. uh, this client was looking for like a drunk 90s deadbeat dad kind of situation and i was like oh we mm-hmm. should use this guy and he's like it's like oh no he looks too clean cut and i'm like <laughs> oh, let me send you a picture of him without like without long sleeves and you realize yes. like the dude's just tatted all over the place i'm like he's perfect for the role you just bad judgment pretty yeah. much yeah i i think i think that's something that and honestly it's understandable to a certain extent with clients and as someone who my field that i work in now as a sales support specialist for a flexible packaging company not many people understand the flexible packaging industry <laughs> and when you have clients coming to you about hey i need this packaging done and we're trying to tell them what they can and cannot do they're gonna like what are you talking about yeah <laughs> they want you to show them right yeah visuals it's 
like, ironically enough, the commercial aspect of working is to create visuals for companies that are trying to explain what they do or sell or provide Mm -hmm. service-wise or whatever. So it's kind of like the whole world functions on images and audio because without them, I mean, I think about car commercials a lot. That's maybe the only thing that I would ever do because they're just freaking gorgeous and Mm -hmm. they're always like out in the desert doing stuff that no one's ever going to do but they had all the equipment and like you want to go buy that Porsche. You want to go buy whatever you see. And I think that's just the nature of how we interpret things. We're very visual creatures. And I think that's why I love any sort of medium where it's a pairing of, of, of visual and audio yeah because it just like it takes you in i mean maybe to your point earlier if you can make a food line commercial look awesome and make me want to go there and buy animal crackers like you did your job because a food line commercial never looks like that but (laughs) i feel like if someone likes like you were to get that you would be challenging yourself, how can I make this interesting? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference. And I didn't honestly see that until we talked, so I appreciate you widening my horizon there. Yeah, it's it's like if we were to make a drama, like it, when I make the, the few times that I've done like wedding films, I think I've done three total, and I will do no more. But <laughs> Three was too many. <laughs> the few times that I've done them, I have had people cry like people that don't know these people. It'd be one thing if I showed it to like the bride's mom and they cry and be like, okay, that's cool. But like I showed them to people that don't know who is on screen and just how like the music goes and the cut goes. Like I've had multiple people cry over that and I'm like, that's awesome. Like that's cool. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when a movie does it or like if a movie makes me cry, which I love crying at movies because then I know that is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so I think of the same thing when in the commercial world. Like if I if I manipulated someone through a visual to like per, you know I manipulated their actions to like buy something because whatever we showed them was like changed the way they thought. It's like that's pretty powerful, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So as you move forward in the next few years, what are your goals? Where do you see your company growing to? The plan is, and that doesn't mean that it'll happen because nothing really ever happens according (laughs) to plan. But generally, my plan is I do want to move to more animation. So right now, I would say like music videos is about 40%. Animations are about 30%. And the other 30% or whatever number that would be because I'm terrible at math would be um, <laughs> I think that was right commercials so I kind of want to kind of lean into the animation thing um, work more remotely because I'm I'm moving to the mountains which oh, nice. isn't a big deal other than just longer drives to shoots because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I want to I do about like 70% animations and 30% music videos and I might drop the commercial thing altogether unless um, it's for like you know big jobs like agency stuff Sure. I would like to yeah. do more, like, let 
can we please play with like 20 grand on a commercial instead of like two grand? Because it's like we're really Mm -hmm. production gets really tight and like tense when you're like frustrated over a $2,000 budget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's generally it. Animations and music videos and kind of just like because whatever happens, happens. But I would like to start like animating more in depth and do like some Pixar type stuff. Oh, that'd be cool. I think it's interesting that Netflix is kind of introducing like a short form. I guess it's the only animation that I've seen so far, but seems like that would be a cool way to maybe get your foot in. Again, something that's shorter is going to be cheaper than a feature or something like that. And mm-hmm. I think we've all seen those Pixar shorts or the Disney shorts where it's just like, oh, man. That's just that got my mm-hmm. heart, and yeah, <laughs> they're great storytellers. Cool to definitely get into something like that. Yeah, I would yeah. love to do something like that. And then also, um, like I think it's Love, Death and Robots or something, Sex, Death and oh, Robots. Yeah, like that mm. kind of stuff. It's short format, fifteen minute, like Black Mirror type stuff. But it's it's hundred percent CGI. I, I'm pretty sure that that series is CGI, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I would love to do something like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, to round things out, we like to ask our guests what they've been watching. So, have you been checking anything out that's noteworthy that we should be also watching? So, I've actually run out of stuff, and um, I would I would say what I'm watching when I get to it is I've been watching a lot of documentaries mm-hmm. on just like random stuff, like like the East India Trading Company. Wow. You know, like like history stuff and uh, Elon Musk and just like really weird documentaries. <laughs> and I've been watching Peaky Blinders, which yep. I don't know if I like it yet, but I'm a few seasons in, so I should probably start figuring <laughs> that out. It's a pretty good time commitment. <laughs> but uh, the last good movie I saw, like it won't get out of my head, is The Devil All the Time. Mm. Uh. That that like really like got me on a vibe for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We talked about that one as well on here a little bit. Yeah. Very old Tommy Holland and uh-huh. Robert Pattinson delusions. It was weird. That my favorite parts of the movie were before Tom Holland showed up. However, I did love Tom Holland's thing, and I'm a giant Robert Pattinson fan. Like, yeah. he's probably my second or third favorite actor. But as soon as that storyline popped up, it, I thought it was a little less interesting than the like previous half of the movie. Mm. yeah i can see that definitely uh yeah you're talking about documentaries you sound like someone who would be a fan of magellan tv i keep seeing that pop up around and it's like a whole streaming service dedicated to like documentaries Hmm. yeah i'm sure since you've mentioned it my phone has heard you and will start sending me those ads (laughs) just like 12 emails immediately (laughs) that's hilarious where can people find you so you can find me on Instagram at I am the animist and animus is A N I M I S T. It's like animal, but ist. <laughs> and the animist.net is my website, and you can find just about anything I do on there too. And it's a great nice. website. Fantastic. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It, it really means a lot. I would love I, I love learning more about different aspects of the industry because You know, the entertainment industry is not just what a lot of people would deem as uh, 
narrative or something like that. More of narrative is like the flashy headlining of a lot of different stuff, but commercial and music videos even still are the probably the backbone <laughs> that keep a lot of stuff going. So it's really cool to listen to that aspect of everything. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, alrighty. Well, thanks again for being on, and hopefully we'll have you back when you've gotten your animation thing fully rolling and got the music videos and well on your way with all of that. And we should uh, work together because, you know, we're in Charlotte, and that'd be a shame to not interact. Definitely, man. Mm -hmm. Hit me up. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Cinevibes. We are always excited to meet new people and to learn about other aspects of the industry that maybe we're not so involved in. And one of them being the commercial side of things that we got to talk to Ethan about today. And if you enjoyed this or have any comments, or if you'd like to get in touch with Ethan, please throw us an email, throw him an email, check out his website. It's really cool. He's got a lot of awesome stuff on there and maybe it can be of service to you. But if you want to find more episodes from us, you can find us on Instagram at the Cinevibes. Or again, throw us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Cinevibescast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. It really means a lot. Uh, and, you know, me and Trey, we're at this point, you know, we we keep keep saying it, but we know it's going to happen. You know, the more and more we say it, it's going to it's going to happen like that little follow button is just right there. And, you know, if you haven't if you haven't hit it yet, just it takes a little tap, a little bit of calorie burning to hit that probably like point zero two calories to just tap that little button. Give us a follow. Now that we've plugged that a little bit. Yeah, thank you all so much. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode as much as we did learning more from Ethan about commercials, music videos, and also everything to do with that side of film. Thank you so much. And we're out.